called Ultra Tuscan Orange Grapefruit. My God, America is imploding. Hello. Welcome to the program. It's Fan Zone. Two weeks ago, we took you on a journey. A match that will live in infamy. And now, hopefully, this is a better one. <laughs> um, my name is Tim. I'm your host this evening. Welcome to the show. This is our debate league here at Multiplex. Uh, this is shaping up to be a very excellent match that I I, I don't know what's going to happen. This is going to be crazy. Uh, the winner of this match goes on to play an even crazier human being. So it's, it's going to be nuts. Uh, before we get into all that, Cody, you are here. Welcome back. Uh, after the last match, you told me, never again do you want to judge. And I said, well, sucks. <laughs> You're doing it again. Uh, how are you doing? And are you excited about tonight's match? Yeah, that last match was a horror movie. Uh, like, to be honest with you, there was a lot of just, like, weird moments. A lot of things were said. A lot of things shouldn't have been said. And a lot and of dead air. Out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But what I'm hoping in this match is the quirkiness of Boatman matched with the total anger of Nazario when somebody gives somebody a lower score on Letterboxd than he approves. That's what I want to see tonight. I hope this, this is actually one of my most anticipated matchups of the tournament. I think they're both really good. It's kind of a weird pairing that they're this like separated and seeding, but like, mm-hmm. It sucks that one of them will be out after this round because yeah. I think both of them could go very far. And I will get messages later if Nazario loses and be like, come on, man. What? I won that one. What? <laughs> Too, stupid. And I'll be like, dang. Sorry, man. Uh, probably true. Uh, also on the desk judging today, Mr. Brooklyn Vale. Brooklyn, how are you? And what do you think about Boatman versus Nazario? Boatman versus Nazario is going to be a lot of fun. Um, Boatman is usually pretty like methodical and like has usually has a process for debates where Nazario is just like, oh, we're going to take this approach here. We're just going to do this. And if it works, awesome. If it doesn't, then whatever. Uh, so very contrasting styles, which I think will make for a fun fight. All right. Well, let's get into it right now. Uh, as we've said over and over again, we have Caleb Boatman versus Nazario. Caleb Boatman being the number five seed, Nazario being the number 12 seed. So uh, we will first talk to the 12 seed, Mr. Nazario Montenegro. Nazario, the last time we saw you, you were playing Jacoby. Yeah. yeah, you guys pitched Groundhog Day and stuff. That was a fun match. Uh, you almost won that match. I think that went to the final question. So, yeah, welcome back to the show. How do you feel about debating Boatman? I don't know. I didn't look any tape on him, so I have no idea if he's any good. That's fair. That's fair. All right. Well, wow. uh, let's get pray- a trivia, I guess. That's something. Yeah, yeah, that's true. He is good at trivia. Will it carry over into debate? I don't know. Let's go ask him. Dr. Strangelove himself. It's Mr. Caleb <laughs> Boatman. Boatman, uh, the last time we saw you, I think, was in an exhibition match, maybe. I don't remember. No, I think I played Doug after that. You did. You played Doug for the seeding for this tournament. That's yeah. correct. Um, and that was actually a really excellent match as well. Thank you for reminding me of it. Um, so you played Doug, you've played Cody, um, you've had some great matches, and now you're in the tournament round one playing Nazario. How do you feel? Uh, I, I like Nazario. I think this is the first time, like, besides teams, Nazario and I have played against each other in anything, or like besides classes 
or besides that one league we don't talk about. But in multiplex, uh, first time we played each other, and I love who doesn't like Nazario? Uh, I guess people who, who like really like dogs, but like besides that, who really like people who dogs? people who people who like the showdown? Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's bad. Um, so, guys, here is how the match is going to work today. We have uh, given the uh, competitors four prep questions based off of categories that they drafted. Um, they have had time to come up with uh, answers and arguments for the questions, and they are going to debate the questions in front of us this evening to the enjoyment of Cody and Brooklyn and myself. Uh, at the end of each question... Cody Brooklyn and I are going to uh, write on our handy dandy whiteboards who we think won the question. Uh, the first person to uh, three points is the winner. So if we get through all four prep questions and it is tied, we will go to a bonus question. So gentlemen, do you have any questions about how the match is going to work tonight? It's like gladiator, but instead we die. We just get hurt feeling, right? Yes. Okay. Nazara, just talk for five minutes and piss off Bowman. Fair. All right. So before we get into the uh, the real fight, <clears throat> let's look back on a fight that we all are very fond of. I love it. I love it so much. Okay, so... Uh, I have a life-size doll of Ted. I know. You sent it to me after your last match. It was amazing. Um, so, not physically, just pictures and stuff. Um, so, we are going to start off with the first question, which is in the category of directors, specifically Mr. Albert Brooks. The question is, what is the best line in an Albert Brooks-directed movie? Uh, Boatman drafted this, so he's going to start. Boatman, you have one minute to open your argument, and I will come in with 10 seconds left to give you a countdown. So your minute starts when you start talking. Okay, so uh, my uh, quote is from the film Defending Your Life, uh, which coincidentally happens to be my favorite Albert Brooks film. Uh, it kind of set the stage. This is a conversation between uh, Albert Brooks' character Daniel and his uh, lawyer in the afterlife, Bob Diamond. And he, Bob Diamond is ex essentially explaining why the trial is based off of how little fear you had. Basically, the less fear you have, the better, and how you overcome your fear. And uh, this quote basically uh, sums up everything about this universe. Fear is like a giant fog. It sits on your brain and blocks everything. Real feelings, true happiness, real joy. They can't get through that fog. But you lift it, and buddy, you're in for the ride of your life. I think this quote not only sums up the movie itself, but the entirety of Albert Brooks's filmography. Uh, it just wraps everything up into a neat little bow time all right so we will now move over to nazario nazario you have one minute to open your argument when you start talking uh i might need a minute just to say my line <laughs> it's a long one uh but i think it's a uh, it's something that comes from from truth which is what i, I make makes it meaningful the quote is also from defending your life it's after the, he has been shown a video where he is lying to his father in a situation where it's pretty obvious that he's lying 
you know, we all had that when we're younger and talking to our fathers when we know that they're not eating our bullshit, but we do it anyway. The line is, you have to lie sometimes in an emergency, but uh, it doesn't mean the bond is affected. If you got the bond, the bond is always there. And if you have to lie occasionally, you're not going to interfere with the bond. You know, the bond can wait for a little and in the end, it's there for you. And it feels personal. It comes from a place of truth for me because it is true that sometimes uh, in, when we have this kind of relationship with our parents, you need sometimes to bend and even if not break the relationship with these little things that you have to do. Time. All right. Great openings from both players, <laughs> both from Defending Your Life, a film I still need to see. Uh, gentlemen, you have five minutes to uh, debate the rest of the time. Uh I will come in with one minute left to give you a warning. And then again, at the 10 second mark, please no talking over each other back and forth. If one of you talks over each other, I will come in and I will freak out. So uh, five minutes when one of you starts talking. I don't think your line is actually about fear. I think that concept is completely muddled. I think more of the reasoning of the movie is about self-doubt because every moment they show him is when he doubts his own qualities. So I don't understand how fear comes into it. The point is kind of muddled to the point that the character himself actually doesn't understand what the concept of fear is for these people. And it's a little generic. Nazario, the whole point of the movie and the trial that they say over and over again is that it's about fear. And guess what? Self-doubt? You know why you have self-doubt? It's because you're afraid. That is why self-doubt and fear go hand in hand. One is not without the other. Uh, I think my quote sums up the movie more than your quote does, which is a throwaway thing. I have a question for you, Nazario. I didn't say it sums up the movie. Okay, well, uh, I have a question for you, Nazario. When's the last time you watched this movie? And specifically that scene. I know what you're going to, because the scene is going in jest. He's bullshitting his way out of a situation that he caused. I watched the movie, man. But this is my point. This, the, this line comes from somewhere of truth. He's trying to weasel himself out of it. But you can tell in his acting and in his face that in the middle way through it, he starts to realize that what he's saying is actually real, even if he's trying to get out of a situation. That is my point. This is based on something real, like the relationship we have with our parents that is not always perfect. Okay, so one, they immediately prove directly after that what he's saying is absolute bullshit because they show clips directly after that that bond really wasn't there. And two, the yes, this scene is a joke. He doesn't mean anything of what he's saying. You don't get that from the acting. It is literally just for joking purposes. Yes, maybe out of context, your quote, fine quote. But in the actual context of the movie, it doesn't work because it's not being said in a sincere question is way. Not, and we never wait. come back to the father ever again after that. The question has never been like what works better in the context of the movie is what is the best line in a directed movie by Albert Brooks. And this line, I believe it comes from somewhere. And yes, we do not go back to the father and they make the point of pointing out that he has lied, not that he has lied without having a bond with his father. The joke is that they show him lying like 20 million times, but you can see the scene and you can understand that what he's doing. He starts defending a point that maybe it wasn't really a reality, but he changes me the way through it and he starts talking about something real. Nazari, Again, without, the context, without the context of the movie, the quote is meaningless. It's just words. At the end of the day, the context is what matters with it. And my quote actually works 
both within context and without context, because mine is basically just a good life thesis about the problem with fear. And as someone who struggles with anxiety a lot, that is actually a quote I try to live by a lot. And Dude, the other thing, again, anxiety is, is real for everybody. Representative everybody has dealt with some level of anxiety. I actually had to deal with that for a long time, a couple of years back. But that is not the point. The point is that the best line in our outside the context of the movie, there is not specifying the question. And my line works as an explanation of the bond that father and sons can have in reality. Yours, your line, like I said, it's confusing. You can say self-doubt is fear, but you can say fear is anything. Fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, hate leads to suffering. That's Star Wars, man. You can just go with anything. Hey, and just go you, back the to only fear. time self-doubt comes into it is in the context of the movie. So for your quote, you're saying, oh, context doesn't matter. And for my quote, you're saying, well, context doesn't matter because self-doubt. So in the context, if we are just going quote for quote, I win. And if we go context for context, I win. Because quote for quote, there's no talk about self-doubt. It is literally just fear clouds everything and you lift it. You're in the right of your life. My quote works yes. both in and out of context. Where but fear cannot be one minute. works out of context. Fear is not an all evil thing that you have to get rid of. Fear is healthy. It's programming to our nervous system. It's the flight or flight response. You can have a healthy amount of fear in your life. You do not need to lift it all the way to... What was the line? Get the right of your life? You can balance. It doesn't mean I'm fear with other things. That's not what they mean in the movie. That's not what they mean in the quote. What they but mean. then we're going back to the thing of in the movie. It means in the movie. It means That's outside the movie. I'm taking your quote. These are not I'm your taking answers. your quote as the quote is. I'm this taking your quote as the quote is. On Facebook. This is my thing. The line doesn't really work. It's kind of in the meaning of the movie because they keep trying to sell you that fear is the thing that they want to sell you in the movie. But, dude, the guy says, it, no, it didn't make enough money. It had enough self-doubt. It's a bunch of things. It doesn't have to do with matter. Mine comes from a place of truth. Time. Oh, man. All right. Uh, we're going to start with Nazario. Nazario, you have a minute to close your argument when you start talking. Sometimes when you lie a little... Even when you and your parents both know that you're lying, it's it's something that you understand why the other person is lying. We all had that moment when we had to bullshit a little bit to get to something that is important in the moment for us, and our parents, you know, let you bend it. I know that in the movie it's used as a joke. It it starts to fit into another joke, but the thing is that the line comes from a place of truth, and you can see it in Brooks while he's performing the line. And I think that is valuable, and I think the message actually resonates even without the context of the movie. His line about fear, in, in the movie itself, the characters do not understand it. They keep referring as, I don't make enough money. He often says, I don't make enough money. And it's not about not making money either. It's about self-doubt. But the concept is never really clear. And like I said, if you take it out of the context of the movie and you just take the line, the line for what it is, you, you need a, a healthy amount of fear in your life to prevent you from doing super shit. You cannot just forget about fear and go for that right of your Time. life. All right, Boatman. You now have one minute to close your argument when you start talking. Okay, I actually just pulled up the script of the movie, and the word self-doubt never shows up, singularity, so I don't really know what uh, Nazario is talking about here. The film is about fear. Fear is the crux of the entire film. That is what they say over and over and over again. It is about overcoming fear. And yes, there's a subtle amount of fear that is healthy in terms of 
wise judgment. But I would argue that's not even really fear. That's just wise judgment. Ultimately, they're talking about the fear that stops you from doing things that you want to do. And that is the whole point of the movie. And that's what the quote is about. Nazario's quote is honestly, just from a writing perspective, it's written very clumsy. So if we are taking it out of the context of the movie, it's written very clumsy because it is written by because it is being spoken by a character who is just making shit up as he's talking he is not actually very passionate about this so both in and out of the context of the movie nazario's quote does not work in and out of the context of my movie my quote is necessary for both time all right uh, i need to find brooklyn there he is okay uh this was great this is this is this is a promising match. I'm looking I'm looking forward to the rest of this. I liked this. Uh, wow. Okay. I think that there was a lot of we 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 focused. The question went away. I wasn't expecting it to. It went into a semantics type thing for a while about uh, does it work outside of the movie? The question is in the movie. Um, so it's tough. I ultimately went with Mr. Boat. Um, I think that his closing was really strong. I think his closing talking about um, how in his, because we made it about semantics, his quote works best in the movie and without, and that Nazario's maybe only works in the movie because of the actor talking and the, the scene, but it doesn't work as in the movie as a whole and even outside of the movie. So I went with Boatman. Cody, where are you at and why? So this is really weird. Is it what your aunt posts on Facebook? <laughs> is it inside the movie? I think Boatman hit him with, when's the last time you've seen this movie? And then now all of a sudden he... Uh, my wife, lovely. Uh, it's not only when you, when you, if you've seen the movie, and then he was able to say, "Well, I'm not talking about the movie. I'm talking about something else." And like, and he was able to back. He actually was able to spin off it really well. But I still think in the crux of the movie is where I have to go. I this opened up a whole semantics argument that could also be exploited. So maybe line questions we don't ask anymore. But I went Boatman. All right, so Boatman does win the first point. Brooklyn, your vote did not count on this one. Where would you have gone and why? Uh, I also would have went Boatman. Uh, I think Boatman did a really good job of just sort of uh, surrounding Nazario, I guess, in any sort of uh, any sort of new new avenue that he tried to explore. Um, so yeah. All right, so Boatman wins the first point, but we are going to move on to the next category, which is the category of. Horror icons, the first time it's being drafted in a fan zone. I'm very excited about this. The question is, specifically in Heather Langenkamp Nightmare Films, what is the best acting in a scene by Heather Langenkamp in a Nightmare on Elm Street film? Uh, so, Nazario, you drafted this. means you get to go first. You have one minute to open your argument when you start talking. <laughs> Uh, the scene I picked from the film uh, was Craven's New Nightmare is the funeral slash dream sequence that she has when she's burying her husband. Uh, it had in Los Angeles they were having like earthquakes by this time, so it's kind of a mix of a reality with dream scene. They are actually in the process of burying her husband when the, an earthquake hits and she sees that the casket is like flying open. So she runs to it, steps on a toy, hits her head, 
And when she looks into it, she can see in the hole of the grave that Freddy is pulling her kid down. And this scene continues until she is in the hole trying to save her kid and then her husband comes back to life. And then like most things in Nightmares, it's all it's altered, right? Although it really isn't. I think this sums up the great character, the great actress that Heather Langenkamp is because it goes from a full range of emotions. She goes from solemn to worried to protective mother to real fear and relief in a very short span of time. I think it shows her as an A actor. Time. I almost just said pens down. That wouldn't have been right. Uh, <laughs> let's go over to Voteman. I love cutting out. Uh, you have one minute when you start talking to open your argument. Okay, so uh, I also picked a scene from New Nightmare. Nazario and I are picking a lot of the same movies tonight. Uh, I picked the, uh, the playground scene. Uh, now, to kind of set the stage, uh, Heather is talking to John Sa Saxon, the actor who played her father uh, in the Nightmare films. And essentially, there is a conversation about Heather's family in terms of their medical history with their mental health. And you get a lot of like real emotion coming from there of Heather basically worried that she is going insane. Like you get this fear, but you also just get this twinge that maybe she actually is, which is I think part of just what makes the movie so great. And you get also the sense that she sees John as almost this actual father figure as he played her father in the movies. And then you go into full fear as this whole time her son Dylan has been playing on the playground and he's about to fall. So you get all the rings of emotions in this time. All right. Couple new nightmare scenes, guys. You have five minutes. When one of you starts talking, so you pick the scene where she's talking to somebody else for three minutes and keep cutting to Miko Hughes. That doesn't show any range of acting with her. John Saxon is out acting her in every single frame of this conversation. And when you can think about memorable things from the scene. Everybody remembers Miko Hughes reaching to the top of the playground and asking God to take him. It's hard fucking breaking, but it's a Miko Hughes scene, not a landing camp scene. My scene oh. displays all her quality in acting. Okay, so I think you are going by the definition of acting is just the biggest wide range. I'm going into acting in terms of the most realistic, right? In terms of the actual most realistic, this scene, the way she is talking, you feel so much, and it's so subtle. It is all with in her looks, in her eyes, in the way she reads an eyebrows, in the way she phrases a question. Everything there is what is perfect. And no, she's not outacting John Saxon. She is having so much with doing so little because that is what is real. And you can say, yes, there is things going on with her son in that scene, but ultimately what she is doing, the question is best performance, not best performance. Yes. Best performance of hers. And that is when she's at her best. Your that is not her best too, performance. Your she is going way too over the top. With That's it. not her best performance. In the middle of that scene, which, by the way, I have rewatched a, a lot more times than you, she even forgets no. her line once. She forgets her line once and looks to the side and comes back because that is what is happening in that scene. She gets lost in it. My scene displays her with a range of emotion. It doesn't have much dialogue, but it doesn't. Have, it's not overacted either, like you're trying to sell. She goes from a solemn person who gets real scared, jumps into a situation, and like most dreams, she cannot tell reality from a dream because it doesn't really make sense, the fact that Freddie is pulling her son into this velvety rope thing inside of the, the, the casket, which she does, and she can just 
go with it so you can feel that she's really trying to save her kid. She's a real emotional display there. Okay, Without that one, okay I want to just debunk that whole line reading thing. That's not what's happening there. She's literally looking over. Let me talk. I let you talk. Uh, she is literally looking over at Dylan, who is playing on the playground. She is not reading a line. Not when just because someone looks off screen doesn't mean they're reading a line. She is looking over at Dylan. That is what's happening in that scene. She's and looking to the, to the wrong is, side. If you're asking you that, she's looking to the wrong I'm sorry, side. You had a lot of time. Uh, I, I let you talk. Uh, now, and the other thing is back over to your scene. It's another dream sequence. She's doing a lot of screaming, a lot of the stuff we have seen her do in every other movie. This is something that she doesn't have, which is an actual emotional, psychological conversation where she gets to be calm for a lot of it. But then you get the screaming at the very end. You get both ranges with it. You get something she doesn't do in a lot of movies. The most memorable thing about your scene is that she runs and picks up Miko Hughes who jumps from a thing and that she catches it. And it's not even her. It's a stone actor that does the catch. That is the memorable thing. You ask anybody what happens in the playground scene, they remember Miko Hughes jumping from the toy thing. This scene actually shows her range, like I said. It doesn't, it's not like every other scene that she has done before. This is a scene where she's actually playing herself. And you can tell the difference because she's not jumping into a hole to save herself, to save herself from Freddy. She just thought her kid had fallen in. And when she sees Freddy, she's shocked because this is the real world. This is not what is supposed to be happening. And then there is a, after she gets the kid back and the, the, her husband gets reanimated and talks to her and says, stay with me. You can see the pain in her eyes because for a second there, she wants to be with him, even though her husband's dead. You There's a relief when she comes out. There's a relief in her performance. You can see the pain in her eyes when she thinks her child's going to die from falling off of the playground. Ultimately, yes, the actual catching being done by a stunt double, but the catching is not the important part of the acting here. Catching is not acting. That is catching, that is stunts. I'm talking about the actual acting, which is the reaction and the emotion. What I'm saying is that the whole scene you're doing... Mario, your scene has a lot of... Big emotion. My scene has a lot of calm emotion. And to go back to your ask anybody about what they remember about that scene, we don't go by that. That's Ryan Payne. Well, my uncle, my dad, like, no, we don't go by ask anybody. I can say ask anybody. Ask anybody is not a people who watch this movie and know it by heart remember why the playground scene is it's because Miko Hughes wanted God to take him to be with his father, and he said no. That is what is the meaningful part of that scene. The rest of the scene is two people talking in a chair. And like I said, if you're saying that she's looking over the kid, then she's looking to the wrong side because she looked to the other side where the kid was. And it's not memorable. She does solid acting because she's a good actress, but it's not something that shows anything in her range. Mine does. Time. All right, Boatman, you now have one minute to close your argument when you start talking. All right, she's not looking over the other side. She's looking to the side where Dylan is. Anyway, my scene, yes, it is two people talking, but that's what makes it interesting and engaging is that she is having all these fears about, am I going to end up like my mother insane? Am I going to be, am I crazy? Is this actually happening? You get all these fears in it, but it's not over the top. It's how an actual person reacts to these types of things. It's not these wild reactions that we get, that we you can see from any other nightmare movie with heaven, right? This is an actual honest emotional conversation and that's what makes it brilliant. That's why it's not only the best 
acting from her. It is the best scene in any of these movies because it's an actual emotional conversation, right? Yours, it's a cool dream sequence, but ultimately yours is in a range of fear and there's not much else to it. And we've seen her play that in every other single movie she is in. Time. All right, Nazario, you now have one minute to close your argument when you start talking. He says that my scene is something that she has done a million other times. His scene is she talking to somebody else. She talks and she's worried. I give you that. She's a good actress, which the scene is good because of it. But you can say that she talks to Wes Craven and she's worried. You can say that she talks to Robert England and she's worried. You can say she talks to the nanny and she's worried. She talks to a nurse in a scene that is a lot more emotionally subtle than the one with John Saxon. Like I said, John Saxon is the better actor in that scene. And my scene is not like any other scene of that she has made before because she's not playing Nancy. She's playing herself. She's doing it from a place of truth. And she goes to this huge range of emotions that she wasn't expecting because she never expected Freddy to be in the real world. It's the first time that she sees him actually interact with her kid and it brings a different level of emotion to her performance. You can see it when she's out of the, of the grave, the relief that she feels that is not real. And she starts wondering then about the mental state of his life. Like I said, with his conversation, it's the bare minimum of acting. Time. All right. Let's bring in them judges. I have to pee really bad. Might have to take a break after this one. Um... Brooklyn. Uh, it's two seconds here. Um, one. Okay, yeah, I got it. Two Mississippi. Okay, this is what I'm going with. Um, this really came down to like scene versus uh versus like a newer sort of concept. But I went with Nazario. Um, he sort of sold me on like yes, this is separates it from everything else because of like I think she I think he really sold me on like the reaction and how she was able to sort of um adapt everything in the okay i'll go next um i <laughs> this was really great this is a great match so far guys uh you guys are both playing really well um i oh, fuck i mean i have to go with what is on my board but um that's why we do this now that's a brother bear shark tail well, yes yes it sure it sure is <clears throat> i think that nazario's closing was really strong by pointing out a bunch of other scenes like Boatman's that were similar. And he did a really good job of tearing his, of Boatman's scene down of saying why the other reason, like why that scene was better, good for different reasons and not for her. That's why I went with Nazario. Uh, so uh, Nazario wins the point, but Cody, where would, where would you have gone and why? Um, so this is hard because I haven't seen this movie. Uh, I think Nightmare on Elm Street is one of the worst things that I've ever watched the original. So, like, I refuse to watch it. It's gross. It's disgusting. So, what the fuck ever. Um, I love both competitors tonight are, like, you're taking this, like, range or, like, this or just talking. I'm talking about real. So, like, everybody's, like, switching and d diving under things, and it's really cool. It's really nice to see. No one's, like, getting punched in the face. Um, but my take on it was I had to go with Nazario just because I think he painted overall the better picture for me of what, like, the range of emotions that the person was in the acting. So, I mean, I don't know how much to explain. And I'm going to steal Brooklyn 
Bowman kept saying there's a lot of scenes that she shows a lot of fear, but didn't reference a lot of the moments. And Nazario actually did reference scenes for me, like talking wise. So that was also a little bit of a selling point. Like if I don't know what you're comparing, what do you got? So. All right. So Nazario does win the second point. It's one to one as we get into the third question. All right, so we are moving on to question number three. Uh, this was a category drafted by Mr. Boatman. It is the category of, if I can scroll there, but I'm losing my mind. Question three is in the category of fandom Oscars. The question is, what fandom comic book movie slash performance should have been nominated for an Oscar that wasn't? Uh, so... We are going to start with Mr. Boatman as he is the one who drafted it. Boatman, you have one minute to open your argument when you start talking. I'm going with a performance that I think is really underrated. And that is Natalie Portman's performance as Evie in uh, V for Vendetta. Uh, This is a performance I think obviously should have been nominated for Best Lead Actress in a film for films released in 2006. That is important later because uh, the film did wouldn't have qualified for Oscars until 2000 and until films were released in 2006. But I think Natalie Portman is doing a lot, and especially for that time, we had not seen Natalie Portman do anything like this. We see the range of emotion as this character transforms from kind of a conformist who believes in the system to someone who is radicalized and fighting against this and burned and scorned. And I think you get the wide range of emotions in this. And I think you get ultimately heartbreak with her reading the letter. I think the performance is overall just fantastic and it absolutely deserved nomination, especially over who was nominated that year for best actress. All right. Time. Okay, uh, Nazario, you now have one minute to open your argument when you start talking. I believe fandom is not the bad acting showcase that it was in the 80s and 90s, where everybody thought that comic book movies had to be goofy and stupid and over the top. And I think no one uh, embodies this more than the criminally underlooked performance of Patrick Stewart as Professor X in Logan, the final Wolverine film. Even in the uh, lesser X-Men films, he always managed to exude that air of propriety like an elder English gentleman. But this movie actually goes and goes to the other side of the coin. He has to portray a man ravaged by a degenerative disease that has taken the, the one thing that he thought made him special, that is his brain. And you can, you can feel it in every moment of his performance. Uh, I think uh, this is the end result of mastering a performance of one character over a span of 17 years. And even more than Hugh Jackman as Wolverine, I think it's criminally underlooked that this didn't get the recognition it deserved. All right, time. All right, so (laughs) Natalie Portman versus Patrick Stewart. Guys, you have five minutes when one of you starts talking. Wait, I think the big thing with uh, Patrick Stewart is if that performance wasn't in a comic book movie, nobody would that make that big of a deal about it. If you put that performance in a movie that is more like general, like uh, a more like general movie about a man who is go- going through dementia, I think that performance is fine. People don't really talk about it that much. Say, oh, Patrick Stewart was kind of good in that. Doesn't get any Oscar buzz or any Oscar attention. It's only because that is a performance in a movie that generally doesn't have performances 
like that. Natalie Portman is going through a wide range of I think the fact that it's a fandom movie has to come into it because we're asking about fandom comic book movies. So the, the whole package of the times that he has played this character has to come into faction because you have a, an expectation. You know what he's supposed to do. You know he can pull Professor X, but you didn't know that he could pull Professor X dealing with dementia and losing control of his powers and feeling immense guilt about something he did that he cannot even remember it. And he portrays this to a T perfectly. He acts like a person would act in this situation and you never question his reality. Free for Vendetta is a great movie. But I'm sorry, Natalie Portman is not great in it. She is still dealing with that George Lucas school of acting where she's, everything is like this and like this and overacting. And she's fighting with that British accent that she cannot even complete her words. Every word she said, it feels like she's missing the last vowel. It's like trying to sound like English like this. It's, it's fucking distracting, man. That's just the, that is just the dialect of English that is very much a Cambridge style of English. Anyway, yours is uh, your to go back to what you said about you have to take in the whole fan into account. No, that's not how the Oscars work. This is what should have been nominated for an Oscar. The Oscars is not the best performance of you taking into account every other thing you've done. It is your best performance of this year in this specific movie. So no, you don't take that into account. And I think the other thing is here is you also have to take into account that for Oscar nominations, it is specifically the five best performances of the year. I can pinpoint three performances from that year nominated for best actress that I can take out. Judy Dench, Kate Winslet, and Meryl Streep was category frauded. All three of those I would take out that year for Natalie Portman. Natalie Portman is better than all three of those. There's no one from your year that I would take out. You're going with specifically about Oscar nominations. We're saying if the, the performance was worthy of an Oscar nomination. Oscar nominates bullshit all the time. They just put Lakeith Stanfield in supporting actress in a movie that where he, where he was clearly the lead actor. And when I, we're talking about... Oscars, yes, they take in consideration people's careers all the fucking time. Leo won for The Revenant when he should have won three Oscars before that. How many years did Martin Scorsese had without winning the, the Oscar finally in 2006 or seven? I don't remember the year. But my point is, yes, they take in consideration whole acting in histories. And the fact that this is part of a series where she's developing a character, it's meaningful. Your film has Natalie Portman in one scene in a, draw, in a doll dress, trying to seduce a priest with a tiny girl, a little voice. It looks like I'm changing the movie to Sucker Punch for a minute there. Okay, so I'd like to thank Nazario for basically just saying that he doesn't like the Oscars. But too bad, the question is what should have been nominated for an Oscar? And ultimately, these are you have to take into account the actual worthiness of the Oscar nomination. And to be worthy for an Oscar, you have to be one of the five best of this year. And you are basically just saying, well, that doesn't matter. I like the performance. And that's not how this works. Ultimately, it is about the actual Oscar nominations and the rules. And that's why, again, you haven't pinpointed anyone you would take out because ultimately you agree there's nothing you would take out. And for my year, there's stuff that you can actually- I haven't agreed to that. And to, to bring on your point, and to bring- I haven't on, agreed to that. What? I haven't agreed to that. I just haven't said anything. So I assume you agree unless you respond to the point. Anyway, uh, the doll dress thing, that that is actually a great scene. Yes, that uh -huh. is how a normal person would do in that scene because it is an awkward situation. You would feel awkward. That is realistic. What I'm saying is that if you just want to 
the Oscars, and like I said, they focus on the whole career all the time. This is reality. If you don't want to see that, then you do not know how the Oscars work. The Academy just pays their dues later. If you just want to focus in my performance, he is doing it in this movie. He's earning the role because he does portray the pain and the, and the grief that he feels in his lack of memory. And if you just want to point to one scene, the scene where he finally has a great night and he talks to Logan and he says, I remember what I did and you have been hiding this from me because you know it would hurt me. That moment just before he dies is beautiful. And those two minutes, Time. that is a Oscar worthy moment. Strike worthy moment from the record. Uh, so, uh, Nazario, you now have one minute to close your argument when you start talking. I think Patrick Stewart reached the top of the level he could do acting with the Professor X character in this film. He took it to a place we didn't expect. He showed us the other side of a man who lives and dies by his brain and what he would look like when his brain was not functioning anymore. But he still, uh, even though he was grief uh, in grief and he was in pain, he wanted to know what it was still to be with somebody who was family. And he has that moment of lightness in the end. And he tells Logan, you have to raise uh, Laura because this is what family really means. It's very impactful. He has to deal with the pain, but he has to move on. His movie, like I said, the acting is not great. The movie overall is great. Hugo Weaving acts better than Natalie Portman just doing a voiceover. He's the one that takes over the movie. It has weird choices, and she has this dialect that it doesn't really translate to good English, proper speaking. And honestly, I don't think it's her acting what pulls you into this movie. I think the movie is memorable because of the things that happen to her character more than what she does with her character. Time. All right. Boatman, you now have one minute to close your argument when you start talking. The question is not what is the better performance. The question is what is worthy for an Oscar. And ultimately, that is what I am arguing here. And ultimately, to be worthy for an Oscar, you have to be one of the five best performances in your year. Patrick Stewart was not better than Sam Rockwell, Willem Dafoe, Woody Harrelson, Richard Jenkins, or Christopher Plummer that year. All five were after them. So he rightly did not get the nomination because... Guess what? Patrick Stewart in this scene does a scene that in any other movie would be mocked to death, which is the Taco Bell commercials jingle. Like, that is absolutely ridiculous and silly, and it doesn't work. Ultimately, Natalie Portman is doing exactly what she is supposed to be doing in that movie, and you can take out Judy Dench, Meryl Streep, and Kate Winslet for all three of those performances. And Nazario didn't refute any of those points because this is about the Oscars and ultimately the Oscars is what it comes down to. And that's the year and the nominations. Natalie Portman's performance is fantastic. The dialect thing, she's doing an accurate dialect. It just doesn't sound right to our ears because we're not familiar to that dialect. Time. Um, wow. Out of curiosity, because I genuinely don't know. Uh, what were those three movies? I already have my answer, so it's not going to sway my opinion. But what I are you Kate, oh wait, hang on. Don't okay. don't don't yet. I'm, I'm just curious. The Kate the Kate wins that the I'll wait until Cody is ready. I'm done. Okay. Uh, little children uh, notes on a scandal and the devil wears Prada, which in my oh, opinion, yeah, okay. should have been in supporting that one. Okay. Um Cody, you get to go first. Great. Because I'm really gonna piss people off here. This is an interesting way to take this argument. Because the question on the table is what deserves an Oscar nomination? At the end of the day, I didn't think of it because I've argued this point and I thought about it a certain way. But honestly, the way somebody argued it is a very interesting way. 
he's just saying it deserves a nomination. He didn't take anything out because that's not his job. He's saying it basically deserves a nomination, which I think is a very interesting strategy to take. Um, I understood their approach. I understand both sides of it. But at the end of the day, I took one person because they pretty much ripped down one performance and told me it was utter trash. And you told me the dialect wasn't great. And that's fair. But at the end of the day, he gave me scenes and lists and things like that that were really bad. I'm going to go with Nazari on this. I may be in my own camp, but that's where my vote is on this one. Brooklyn, you're next. Uh, so yeah, no surprise. I dis- I disagree with Cody. That's fair. Um, yeah, um, I I am gonna go with gonna go with Boatman. Um, I think it was ultimately a, a matter of like um, Nazario battling the performance versus Boatman ar- versus Bra- Boatman arguing like the the eligibility of of of, Pat- of Patrick Stewart's. Um, and I think I think that's what it I think that's what happened. I think Boatman ultimately gave Nazario kind of like a love pitch, and he kind of missed on it. But that's just that's just my opinion. Oh boy, the first split decision of the evening. I'm so happy. That's what happens when you bring Brooklyn out. I'm so excited to be the one to uh, break it because I know I'm going to piss people off. Uh, I went with coming to theaters this summer, Boatman. Uh, The reason I went with Boatman uh, is pretty much the same thing as Brooklyn said. I agree with Cody and everything Cody said. I just thought that the fact that Nazario didn't refute it uh, the the point by like even humor the the the, the I don't thing think was I, I, that's fair. Uh, just to me, that was a big thing. Uh, I was looking at the question through the lens of the way Boatman argued it, um, and that's uh, that's kind of where it comes down to. Is uh, when, well, that's totally when, fair. When, I just when, think Nazario gave it a yeah, yeah. I, we can we can talk about it more after the fact, but absolutely, uh, it was it was a close one. Nazario took it in a way that I definitely didn't expect, and I liked it. Um, it's gonna, yeah, man. I but Bowman wins the point, split okay. decision on that one. Um, it's now two to one as we go into the final category, which is <laughs> also drafted by Nazario and color me shocked. It's horror. <laughs> he did both horrors. Good for him. Uh, so. Specifically, he picked um, the Child's Play series. And the question is, who is the worst character in the Child's Play series? And just for clarification, this is specifically theatrical released films. Uh, So uh, those all fit in here. The choices that were picked were fit into that. So that's good. Uh, Gentlemen, Nazario, you picked this category. So you get to go first. Um, you have one minute to open your argument when you start talking. The worst character in the whole Child's Play series is Karen Heigl's Jade Kincaid. Uh, a bad actress for a bad character just seems to fit. This is the, in Bride of Chucky, by the way, this is the first movie that actually deviated from the Andy Barclay storyline, um, which I believe to be a mistake uh, in the storyline itself, but that's another argument. But who do we get instead? We get Jade. A girl that's so forgettable that most of you probably don't even remember that she was in the movie. Her character is supposed to be the lead in the movie that has to carry itself without the main reason for existing in the series. And it fails utterly because uh, this movie, by this time, people only care about Chucky. So Chucky is actually the main character of the movie. The bride of Chucky, the new character, uh, Tiffany, it's the one thing that they add on but they have to have humans. So let's just put some disposable characters in there to see what happens. 
and they couldn't come with a better thing than this time. All right. Boatman, you now have one minute to open your argument when you start talking. Uh, I picked Ronald Tyler from Child's Play 3. Uh, I believe bad to be the absence of good. Right? Bad is the absence of good. And there's nothing good about the character of Ronald Tyler. Ronald Tyler is essentially just, we need another Andy. We need another Andy. Let's put another Andy in there. Ronald Tyler is just Andy too. And there's nothing interesting or notable. He is a completely boring, flat character. There's nothing he brings to the table that Andy already doesn't. He's a completely boring, flat character. Uh, and that's what makes him the worst in the series in that he adds nothing. He is empty calories. He is the worst in that there is absolutely nothing good about him. He is a filler spot. He is dead air. Nothing positive with Ronald Tyler from Child's Play 3. Just another body that is ultimately forgettable and pointless. All right. Time. All right. Fun fact. I've seen all these fucking movies. I watched them all last year before the new one came out, so I know what you're talking about. Uh, that doesn't usually happen. So, uh, gentlemen, you now have five minutes uh, when you start talking. I'm guessing you don't like Ronald Tyler, Goldman. Not See, his, his character actually fulfills a point here because by this time they decided to move on Andy to uh, an older age and they hadn't yet decided that Chucky just could jump into anybody. So they still were with the kid thing. So they had to have a kid so the story could have uh, continuity. So it had a function. It's a kid actor. You cannot expect much from kid actors. They do their best. So every once in a while you, can, you get a Haley Joel Osment, but it's rare. So, but his character has a function. He has a plot thing to do. Something happens to his character. Jade is a waste of space in Bride of Chucky. She does nothing. She does any, nothing else than just take screen time from Chucky and Tiffany, which are the things that people want to watch. In yours, you actually need a protagonist because they've moved away from the character of Andy. In ours, we still have Andy, so there might be a plot filler purpose, but as an actual yes. character, characters are not just plot fillers. They are not just character cards. They are actual characters. And what I mean is as actual characters with emotional human dialogue, Ronald has nothing that Andy doesn't have. There is no emotional weight or consequences that we don't already have with Andy because we actually have a connection to Andy. Andy, we don't have a connection to Tyler. Jade, by your same logic, actually has a purpose within the plot. And don't give Ronald a pass because he's played by a child actor. It's it's bad. It's bad. We don't just That say, is the one thing oh, I give it a pass for. Poop. It doesn't smell that bad because it's a poop. That is the one thing I would give him a pass for because it's a child actor. Let's talk about Jade. Jade is supposed to be the main character of the series. She's supposed to pull this movie forward. She wasn't called for the sequel, by the way. She lives. This is a, a fact. They what is her point? Her point, her point is to give people for Chucky to kill, right? So her whole character is, oh, I really love my boyfriend. I'm going to marry my boyfriend. I am going to do anything to marry my boyfriend. That's all she wants. That's all she does. She goes out. She escapes from her dad. She wants to marry her boyfriend. What happens? There's a murder. <gasps> Who's the first person she suspects? Her boyfriend. The person she's going to marry. No, I, I, he's a murderer. But she marries him anyway. After they get married... Somebody yeah. else is dead. Mizarro, I already know. Like, you know, you know as someone oh, sorry, who's a husband. young person, young per people make stupid decisions. I know, I know for a fact there are people out there that would absolutely do what you just did. Honestly, right. that's realistic. She there suspects. Are people out there who she gets the guy. She marries the guy. 
And even after she marries the guy, there's another couple that turns up that she still thinks it's her husband. She, she just keeps thinking. Is, the, the whole function of that movie for that woman is to want to get married to somebody and doubt his veracity and think he's a murderer. Tyler has I'm a purpose. Made Tyler oh. has a purpose in the movie. Guys, what? guys, call the newspapers. Call the newspapers. Someone made a bad decision in a horror movie. Sound the alarm, no. guys. In other that's news, a cheap, in that's other a cheap news, excuse. That's talk. a cheap excuse because they never had this news. bad of a character in the series before. In other news, water. What? Like, seriously, someone made a bad decision in a horror movie. That happened all point, the time. If your point was valid, let, let, Bo let, let, Bowman let Bowman talk. Thank you. Okay. You don't you don't say that Fred is an awful character because he makes people split up in Scooby Doo. Ultimately, someone made a bad decision in a horror movie. That's not a good argument for a character, and that's what you spent the last time arguing again. Ronald doesn't have a character. Ronald is a filler seat. It's not a good actor, and it's about character, which is an actual human being with a personality, not a plot device. Again, Jade at least has motivation, and something about her that makes her interesting is that she does suspect her boyfriend. That's kind of interesting in that she is still in love with someone, but she also thinks he's a killer. That's almost Hitchcockian in terms of psychology. Tyler, has a, Tyler has a function because he's the person that he is need to possess. And he has actually more interacted with Chucky than Andy was in the previous, in the first movie, because he actually realizes that Chucky is full of shit. And he tells him that he doesn't want to play with him anymore. And he does have development in the movie. It is badly played. I do not argue with that because it's a kid that doesn't know how to act, but that is not like a break or uh, breaking thing that, that breaks the movie. You didn't even play, pick the worst part, the worst character of that movie. Whitehurst is the worst part of that movie. He's a grown well, ass man who Chucky and refuses about. to call. Yeah, because Whitehurst is not worse than Jake Kincaid from Bride of Chucky. Okay, but the argument this is This character is so stupid that funny. when Chucky stabs her boyfriend in the back, he says, give me back the knife. She gives him back the knife. That is a bad character. Ultimately, again, Jade is an actual character with personality motivation. She has these kind of dynamic with her boyfriend that I think is really interesting. And the actress is not that bad. All right, Boatman, you get to go first to close your argument. One minute when you start talking. By Nazaria's own admission, the actor who plays Ronald Tyler is awful. I don't actually think Katherine Heigl is that bad in this movie. I, it's clear she is in like a B-level movie, but I actually think she's giving a lot, especially with the kind of, again, I keep saying it because it's actually interesting. There's kind of a Hitchcockian motivation here with, I am in love with someone who I think may potentially be a murderer. That is straight out of like notorious or suspicion. Like that I think is absolutely fascinating. Uh, I think Ronald brings nothing to the table. You can say, oh, he has a conversation with Chucky. Well, as we saw in the last argue, last two arguments, they just have a conversation. Conversations happen. Ultimately, a conversation doesn't mean anything. It didn't mean anything for Heather Landingcamp and John Saxon. It shouldn't mean anything here. Ultimately, Jade actually has some interesting motivations. And I think Ronald has nothing that makes him actually interesting as a character, as a personality, and his best character. Time. All right, uh, Nazario, you now have one minute to close your argument. The first thing I want to address is Tyler. I didn't say he had a conversation with Chucky. I said he has a relationship with Chucky, and that is a better relationship than the one Chucky has with Andy in Child's Play, because unlike Andy, who just keeps believing Chucky, he knows he's full of shit, and he knows it right away. 
he stops playing with him and he starts telling people that the fucking doll is alive and wants to kill people. And then Andy knows what's going on because he has lived it before. He didn't even pick the worst character in that movie. That is Whitehurst, a grown ass man who sees Chucky kill. And Andy says, like, you saw that, right? And the guy goes fucking mute for the rest of the movie. Just really, <laughs> like Chucky's going to jump out and kill him for no fucking reason. Jade is a moronic character. And he said Hitchcock? He said Notorious? The woman just wants some dick, man. She just wants to get her boyfriend, get married, and move on. And she doesn't know him to the point that she believes he's a murderer three different times. Her character is pointless. She was supposed to pick up the Andy role as the main protagonist. And she does something so stupid that when the guy stabs her boyfriend, she gives him back the knife. She wasn't called Time. back. <laughs> I get to go first because I decided the last one. So let me know when you guys are ready. <clears throat> this has been a great match. All right. Are we, we good? You're muted, Cody. I get to go last, don't I? No, Brooklyn does. The fuck? All right. Uh, I'm not going to pepper this too much. I'm going with Nazario. Uh, I think that Boatman did a really great job of uh, like trying to find holes in Nazario's uh, argument because I, I don't honestly know if Boatman has seen these movies. Uh, but he did a good job of hiding it if he hasn't. Uh, and I think that Nazario overall, though, just every time Boatman said, well, your you're, you're saying good things about the character. And he's like, no, I'm actually not. I'm saying these moronic things. And you didn't even pick the worst character from your movie. I think that was a big point. So I give it to Nazario. Cody, you're next. I haven't seen these movies. And Boatman's bullshit was really good. It sold me. I go Boatman. <laughs> okay, wow. I think, I think overall the selling point was like he just kept going. And I don't think Nazario helped. Nazario just kept shooting himself in the foot by saying the character that Bowman picked was terrible. I thought the best Trump, I didn't know if I could give it for a full Trump, was where he was just like, Your character's, you didn't, yours is not even the worst. Well, you didn't pick it either because this character's worse. It was like a really good jab, but I, it was rough. And if you lose, I'm sorry, Nazario. I just had no frame of reference. And Boatman sold bullshit. He put a bow on that thing and sold it to me. All right, Brooklyn, it's down to you. Do we have a winner, or are we going to the final question? Uh, so, yeah, much like Cody, uh, I have not seen either of this movie, so it's kind of based on the pitch. Um, and I also went with Boatman. Um, for me, it was just kind of like Bizarro started on the back pedal with the close with his closing remarks, and then whenever it was like the bad decision thing got brought up, that sort of turned everything around. Um, and then it was just kind of like, yeah, it was a, it was a good back and forth, but I think that was kind of like the uh, that was a TSN turning point, if you will. Wow! All right, so that means your winner is Caleb Boatman. Uh, we are going to start by talking to Nazario. Unfortunately, I can tell is not I'm happy. Dying, I'm dying among us so bad right now. Uh, Nazario, you played great. Each of these questions, very very close. The last two being split. Um, how are you feeling? I never backpedaled. I said he didn't pick the worst character from his movie. I said my character was worse than any character from his movie. Yeah. Uh, That's a fucking bullshit. That I don't think you want me it was not my fucking job to pick uh, an Oscar replacement. 
I wasn't supposed to say which had to go out. They just said that the character should be worthy. And you guys put Natalie Portman in Before Vendetta where she doesn't fucking talk well over Professor X and Logan. No, 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 no. Well, I, I, I don't understand the system. I obviously don't. Okay, well, uh, I will tell you that uh, we can talk about this off camera uh, while we're live. Uh, you just did probably the thing that annoys me the most in humanity of the debate. Uh, but I do think you played really, really well. Um, I think that I love cutting out. I think that you definitely deserve to be here and to be playing in this league because you are always very, very good and very on point. Uh, just didn't quite make it today. Um, but with that, we will move over to the winner. Mr. Caleb Boatman. Boatman, uh, you looked very surprised at the end there. I was honestly surprised. I didn't see it going that way. I thought we were going to a final question. Uh, but nonetheless, you won. Um, you are now moving on in the tournament. How do you feel? All right. So I just want to give a little sneak peek into how my question went, right? So basically, where I was was like, okay. So I know I'm going to hit the – I was pretty confident I was going to win the Albert Brooks point. And I was – Pretty and then I was like the other the Oscars and the uh, Nightmare were like the swing points. Those could go either way. And then the one I was like, okay, you're gonna lose the Child's Play. Don't even bother watching the movies. Just bullshit. And that worked apparently. Uh, I'm I'm happy it worked. Uh, I'd like to thank my knowledge of Alfred Hitchcock movies uh, for, for helping me with that. Uh, that's not what Notorious is about. I just said a title of a movie that I don't think anyone here had seen. That doesn't really connect to Notorious <laughs> at all. Um, but I, I do think like that comes to point. This is not about the better pick. I would agree. Patrick Stewart is the better pick than Natalie Portman, but it's not who picked the better thing. It is about who can argue the better thing. It's the same thing with Shark Tale and Brother Bear. Nope. Uh, well, again, we will. <laughs> uh, Bowman, you're moving on to the tournament. You're going on to play Nick Tuig. That is who you're playing. You're playing Nick Tuig next. Uh, so how do you feel about uh, playing Mr. Tuig? So I had to play Nazario, and now I have to play Tuig. Yes. <laughs> well, you can thank Nico for that, because Tuig beat Nico. So if Nico had won, then you would be playing Nico. But uh, Yes, so how do you feel about that match? Uh, not great, obviously. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. All right. Uh, well, we're going to wrap this thing up. Uh, Brooklyn, any final thoughts? Uh, no, that was a, no, that, that was a, that was a great back and forth. Uh, despite it not going to speed round, it was, it was a lot closer. That second one, literally writing, writing as you were counting down. Yeah. Uh, Cody, final thoughts. As somebody that's been on numerous science trivia or debate, I completely understand Nazario's frustration. I oh, would probably too. voice them as well. So I don't have any fault or any blame on that. Um, yeah, it's, I again, it's a split decision because if I think it's going to the sudden death because I think he wins the Oscar one and we were wrong on the other one in our in his eyes. And that's fair. Um, but again, Nazario's record never reflects how he is. He just plays hard players. Um, maybe we give him a tune-up match next time or something. But... Yeah, overall, great match. 
All right, so guys, that's going to do it for us here at FanZone. Like I said, uh, you are going to be seeing that match, Nick Tuig versus Caleb Boatman. That's going to be a very interesting one. Uh, the next match we have for you in two weeks is the return of Mr. Jimothy Green. Uh, dear Lord, he's still around, and he's playing Richard Schwartz. Uh, so we'll see that in a couple weeks. Uh, that'll be an interesting match. So, uh, guys, thank you so much for watching this episode of FanZone. We will see you next time. Bye-bye. That's my bad, I was sending tweets.